Okie dokie, folks. Welcome to the Roots Report podcast, presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by The Parlor, R1 Entertainment, Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden, Graysale Brewing of Rhode Island, and SD Microphones. I am your host, John Fusick. Today, we have songwriter, composer, arranger, and trombonist of the band Chicago, Jimmy Panko. He wrote such hits as Make Me Smile, Just You and Me, Color My World, and many others for the band. Chicago will be performing at the Mohegan Sun Arena in Connecticut on Saturday, May 7th. John, Jimmy Panko here. It's, a, it's a great to talk to you. You're probably one of my favorite members of the band. I, I love watching you on stage. It's your, oh, thank your, you. Your trombone antics are great. I can't pretend that I get a little nuts up there because I can't help myself. Sometimes I uh, it annoys some of the other guys because I'm, you know, I'm in their way. I'm running around <laughs> like a, loon, a lunatic, you know? <laughs> I do the same thing a little. I, I play in a band, and I kind of do the same thing sometimes, too. I, I put on a wireless on my guitar, and I kind of go get in the way sometimes. Awesome. <laughs> hey, man, you know what? Let it happen, baby. Let well, it let it ride. You got to have fun. You got to have fun. You know, thank you. Thank you, man. And every night. Yeah. You know, here we are. Here we are. Uh, we've never taken a year off, other than the pandemic, unfortunately. But well, you uh, did. You did the live feeds. I saw a bunch of live feeds. You oh did. yeah, you know, you know, we did. Uh, it, we got as close as we could with the Zoom stuff. Uh, you know, everybody was remote, and we were performing at each, uh, each of our home home studios, and you know, doing a semblance of a live performance. You mm. know, as best we could. It was fun. It was a way of reminding our audience that we cared, that we missed them, but dude. There's nothing like the real thing, like being on stage with an audience that is pumped up. I mean, the adrenaline is over the top. And like you say, you know, I'm jumping around up there because I can't control it. It's it's like the most incredible drug on earth. I mean, the synergy w- with a live audi- audience, it validates the music. It's like the first night every night, man. Right, right. You know? I mean, you're, you're a musician. You're a performer. You get that. Oh, I totally get it. You know, you you could be the best thing since sliced bread if nobody gave a darn. <laughs> you know, what does it matter? True. You know, for us to be able to do this for over half a century and we're still selling out venues. Well, you're going on 55 years. This is our, okay, well, yeah, this year is officially our 55th anniversary yeah that's, and, that's great you know i'm gonna do this till they take my driver's license away man you know <laughs> well you don't need a license to run a trombone so no i'm not a danger to other motorists <laughs> when i'm on stage but man i can't wait to get on that stage it's yeah. like hold me back hold me back oh, I, and it's, it's fun i mean i i you just i mean the thing about it, it you know it's a funny thing i i gotta tell you this little story I got Chicago's greatest hits when I was, uh, I think I was 14 years old when it came out. And I used to blast that album. And my father would come in and say, what's that crap? What are you listening to? What is that shit? What is that stuff? Yeah. And then fast forward about 40 years and about 10 years ago, I took him to see you guys. And he was like, oh my gosh, that show was great. I love them. That guy in the trombone is great. I love watching him. And I always just, that always the makes me laugh. Kid. It's just my father, my father's 87 now, but he was probably like 77 then. And he loved you. He absolutely loved you. And I had to turn around and say, Bless Dad, his heart, man. in the 70s, you couldn't stand it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, so, man, we made a believer out of him, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like, I've, you know, the music that you produced in that, in that early year is, is like, some of the best music that's ever been made. I mean, I actually, while I was waiting for you, I was listening to the ballet for the girl in Buchanan, which is one of my favorite pieces of music. And it's like, that is brilliant. I mean, that's such a brilliant piece of music. And it's just... Thank you, John. And it's just, nobody writes that kind of stuff anymore. And it's just, you know, nobody has the horns. And it's like the horn section. Yeah, you know, and I marvel, you know, in hindsight, we were lucky enough to be able, you know, back in the day, it wasn't about, you know, it, it, it wasn't political. It wasn't dependent upon industry protocol. Okay, you guys got to, you know, uh, we want to get this on the radio. You got to make it three minutes, three mm. and a half minutes. You get a formula. We want one of 
you know, power ballad. We, have a, we did, we, we simply wrote and recorded what we heard in mm. our head. What we heard in our head. There were, you know, there were no uh, restrictions, you know. Not only that, but Columbia Records, thankfully, granted us double album. Mm. Because, you know, it it became obvious that because of the length of the of, of the material, I mean, the ballet is almost 15 minutes long, my gosh. And, you know, beginnings is seven, eight minutes long. You know, the only way we could capture the full spectrum uh, of our music is with a double disc. You know, we didn't have CDs where you could have, you know, 20, you know, you could have 45 minutes or an hour's worth of music on there. They granted us double disc. And when I did the ballet, it was uncharted territory. I had been listening to Bach. I was, you know, I, I studied him when I was in music school and he continued to be a huge influence for me because he represented not only to me, but I think he was recognized by educators as well as being an example of perfect movement in music. counterpoint, moving musical lines, melodies that work together. And I listened to him over and over to better understand how I could accomplish such perfection in my voicing when Mm. I'm writing. Uh, of course, I will never be Johann Bach. Uh, I would I would never claim to even approach the genius of... I mean, he was around 200 plus years ago, and his music still cooked, you know. I mean, you could easily put a pop jazz rhythm section to his stuff. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, I think it's been done, and the, they did do that a few times. Well, they, you know, way back... Well, it, switched um, on Bach. Didn't they do the synthesizer stuff with the switched oh, on Bach? Oh, there you go. There you go. Uh-huh. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. And then, so... I'm right, I'm sitting there working on the ballet. I'm going, okay, how can I, man, how can I now render a classical approach and marry it with, with Chicago's thing? Did you write it on piano? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and thankfully, I took I took piano as a minor while I was at, at DePaul in Chicago because as I'm, you know, as I'm hearing all these ideas in my head, this is before I started writing pop music. I, I had already begun to write instrumental stuff. I had a quintet of my own, and we were doing uh, the Crusader covers, you know, Cannonball Adderley, and you know, all of the, you know, the, the small jazz groups. I was uh, doing covers for that, but I had never written vocal or chordal rhythm section stuff, and I needed to, I needed to learn a poly instrument, you know, piano or guitar, in order to manifest what I heard in my head polyphonically. I mean, you can only do so much on a trombone, you know, it's one voice. Hmm. So I studied piano enough so I could, you know, uh, learn chord structure and uh, then be able to uh, flesh out a rhythm section and chords and the whole nine yards. And it became a blessing that I did that because it enabled me to then write songs for the band, you know, with vocals and changes and, you know, guitar, keyboards and the whole the whole thing. So I'm sitting there, you know, fooling around with, okay, how can I write a piece that is a classical approach to rock and roll, you know? Well, it worked because you're in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Well, you know, I I guess by virtue of, you know, if you do, if you're, if you stick around long enough, they're going to take notice, you know? (laughs) Well, you've written, I mean, mean, you've written some of the most popular Chicago songs next to Robert. I mean, you and... Yeah, Robert and I wrote the, uh, wrote the body of the work that put us on the map. Yeah, you I know? mean, you got Just You and Me, Searching So Long, Feeling Stronger, Old Days. Yeah, Live Again, again. You know, I mean, Old Days, Make uh, Me Smile, Color My World, which was prom themes for the 70s for everybody. Well, yeah, it became a, a standard. Yeah. You know, it's in every fake book, you know. And John, let me tell you something, man. You know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing when I was sitting at piano. I was testing the water. This was new territory. I was There were no comparatives. Well, so, it worked. I mean, what you, you know, did was and, you brilliant. Know, and I, you know, and I, you know, I wrote. It wasn't called "Make Me Smile." It was called "The Overture." Right. You know, and "Call of My World" was, you know, and you know, and "Adagio Cantabile." You know, 
I had all these classical titles at I and I married them together. You know, I wrote transition bars to marry each of these little moments, if you will, uh, together. It became a 13 or 14 minute multi-movement thing. And when I brought it to the studio, Gersio said, hey man, you know, forget about the, the classical titles. Yeah, you know, let's keep it as a full body of work, you know, in its movement with its movements, but let's let's title these movements with song titles instead of you know classical feeling like mozart or you know bach dravinsky you know so okay make me smile color my world now more than ever you know and it worked oh somehow it totally did I it mean... worked and, and man you know we do it every night and if you get lost somewhere in that thing <laughs> It's hard to find your place and get back in it, you know. Yeah, because I mean, there's so many time changes in there, and and yes. it, it just moves around so much. But it, it's yes. it's great. I mean, like I said, that's one of my favorite pieces of music. It's just uh, thank you, man. Thank you. I, it, you know, it's I, I, you know, and Robert and I were just talking. You know, we were in the bus the other day. We were talking about, you know, because we have a couple uh, recent additions to the lineup. Uh-huh. You know, uh, which, by the way, in my for my money, the current lineup is probably uh, arguably the best lineup we've ever had. The band is unbelievably slamming. And, you know, the three three of the founding of the six founders are still on stage. You know, the guys that wrote it recorded it. So, you know, you're getting the real poor. This right, is right. far from a, a tribute band. You no, know, this, no, no. You guys, you know, I mean, this the... is the real deal. Yeah, but, I mean Keith you know, has Robert, been in the band for a long time too. Who? Keith Howland. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, every you know, it's it's amazing. You know, the new guy is you know twenty years. You know, it's like. But now we, you know, we've added uh, some more uh, ad- addition. You know, to the lineup. There's ten of us on stage. It's huge. It's powerful. But Robert and I were laughing the other night. You know, you know, because it, you know, in, we, we're in rehearsals. And, you know, we're running the show, you know, for the newer people and, you know, not uh, also to just, you know, refresh, refresh the shop, the chops, you know, as we go out for another year. And Robert and I are going, Jimmy, how did we do that, man? How did we, how did we think of that? We were kids. I know. I think of that too. It's like, I think of, you, you know, know, I mean, you guys were what, like 20 years old when you started? Oh, the yeah, band? I was, yeah, I was 20. When this started. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know? I think of where I was at 20, and I was, you know, I had barely just written a couple of songs then, and they weren't like the songs that you were writing. I mean, the songs that I wrote then, it's like, yeah, they're in a wastebasket somewhere, <laughs> but the stuff that you wrote <laughs> is on is in, like, Hall of Fame music, and it's music that's going to endure for forever. I mean, it's... Timeless. Right. You know, and who knew? No. Who knew? It's... You're sitting at the keyboard having a personal moment, you know, hoping that, you know, you can talk about it at some point. It, it, you know, it winds up going on a record and it becomes a soundtrack for millions of people. Right. I mean, it was my, I mean, I mean the 70s. That is. At the 70s. I mean, I listened to so much Chicago. I didn't have a lot of money growing up. So, I mean, I most of my growing None up of in us Chicago. Did, dude. It was the Chicago's greatest hits. But I used to, like, know the order of the songs in my head. I knew what songs, like, I, I could hear the transitions in my head, like, you know, I knew, and still to this day, when I hear one of the songs, I still know, like, I'm waiting for something, the next song to come up, which it should be, which it always isn't, because I'm listening to it on YouTube or something, and it's, you know. You were a true student of our music, and uh, my my heart and my thanks goes out to you. You know, it's, it, it's by virtue of people like yourself that embraced this music so deeply that gives us validation, you know. I mean, again, you know, if nobody cares, it doesn't matter. And thank you for, you know, for embracing it so deeply. And, you know, I mean, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, and, you know, back in the beginning, we're thinking, wow, we're going to make a record. We're gonna, <laughs> you know, we signed a deal with Columbia Records. We're going to go to New York and make a real record. You know, I, I remember being in the studio and I'm, wow, I'm looking at this big control room. And, you know, shit, this is where Sinatra recorded. You know, we're like, holy cow. You know, you're standing in front of that mic, you know, for the first time. You're going, oh, crap, this is going to be forever. Right. We better not make any clams, you know? <laughs> we we use that term clams in rehearsals a lot. Yeah. 
I haven't know, heard anybody else use that bus. You know, and then, you know, here we are 55 years later, 40 albums later, and we're still selling out. People are still coming to communion, you know, wanting to experience. You look into a crowd and you see people reliving the moment that right. they discovered this music. Right. You know, there's people from 12 to 70, and they're all they're all relating to this on their own level. Right. You know, well, does it relate the same way a 45 year old relates to it? Right. But yet they all have their own experience, and you see that taking place, man. And, you, and it's like holy shit. And you got to you got to tour from um, with Janice and Jimmy too. I mean, that's that's an experience right there. Yes, yes. I mean, yes. It's, it's just. I mean, it was exposure that no you couldn't buy. I and, mean, we had no record. We were still a club act. We were like the house band at the Whiskey A Go Go on this on the strip. We left the Midwest. We had you know we had to roll the dice. You know, do we want to become the biggest lounge act in the <laughs> in the Midwest? You know, and do the you know the steps and where the suits and you know do do top 40 covers and add we were building a huge following doing that in the midwest but or do we want to take it to the next level and discover our own voice and be us and maybe even get lucky enough to make a record mm -hmm. so to do that we we have to go to where the record business is that's the west coast and then we you know, we were nobodies. I mean, we had to start all over again. So we became kind of the house band at the Whiskey, a go-go. And here we are at the Whiskey, and we're opening for uh, Albert King, mm. of all people, B.B. King's uh, cousin. And we're in the dressing room waiting to come on, uh, come on uh, go back on stage. And as we go to walk out of the room, here's a guy standing in the doorway. And we're going, is that who we think it is? <laughs> it's, it's Hendrix. And he goes, you guys got a horn section that sounds like one set of lungs and a guitar player that's better than me. Do you guys want to go on the road? And how can you beat I, a quote like that? That that quote has endured for 50 years, you know? Yeah. I mean, by by the, the pop genius of his age. Right, right. You know, this black, left-handed, rock and roll guitar god. And we went on the road with Jimmy, you know, and instead of playing for, you know, 200 people in a club, we were playing for 20,000 people in an arena. And we'd be on stage, you know, with the opening act, we're nobody. People are going, we want Jimmy! We want Jimmy! And it wasn't Jimmy Panko, it was Jimmy Henry. We want Jimmy! And Walt would go to the mic and he'd say, shut the F up and listen! <laughs> <laughs> and they did. Well, it's a good and the thing. Next thing. You know, the next thing you know, by word of mouth, you know, people start talking about, you know, who are these guys? I mean, they're really different. Who are these guys, man, with the horns? What is that? And then, you know, we were we got a gig at the Fillmore West in San Francisco. And again, we were that boss hit bound. I think we had just started using Chicago Transit Authority, you know. And it, we were the opening act, and then Santana, and then Jan Big Brother in the Holding Company, Janis Joplin. And they were huge, you know. Janis took a big liking to us because, you know, we were unique. And uh, she was the boss, right? She was the boss. Everybody kissed her butt, you know what I mean? <laughs> You know, she was like the queen, you know, do it, do what she says, you know, follow her orders. She was a wild, brawling, uh, blue collar Texas gal. She was a tough chick. And we were in our dressing room waiting to go on. And she came into our room. She just barged in. And she starts brushing her hair in a, in a floor-length mirror. And the brush slips out of her hand. <laughs> and she looks at us sitting on the couch. She goes, pick up my brush, you so-and-so. <laughs> and, and Walt gets up off the couch, all six, two of them. And he walks up to Janice. And he goes, pick up your own brush. And while you're at it, apologize. Oh, <laughs> uh, Okay. <laughs> and from that moment, she loved us because we demanded respect. You know, we demanded respect as, as human beings, as people. Well, you don't barge you into a room like that and or give orders. True. You say please or get the hell out of here. Right. And everybody else was kissing her butt, you know, they, they, uh, because they dared not. You know, but we didn't take her crap. You know, we say, hey, either hey, get some manners or get the hell out of here. And she fell in love with us. <laughs> 
from that moment on, we were her big brothers. And she looked up to us and she invited us on the road. And so we wound up doing, uh, you know, a tour with Big Brother. And again, exposure that you couldn't buy for a for million dollars. And then after that word of mouth started happening, that's when record labels started getting interested and they started coming into the whiskey. You know, they, hey, who are these guys? You know, we hear this buzz about this. You know, these guys, they have a horn section and, you know, they're doing this stuff that nobody else is doing. And pretty soon record labels were having a bidding war. You know, and Gersio got us a, a deal with, with Columbia, and Clive Davis. And from there on, it's history, you know. It's it's good history. and you But, know. you know, you know, you're talking about the ballet. You're talking about doing things that had no comparative. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. We were a bunch of kids and we were we were rehearsing. We were. We were creating and rehearsing and writing and, and playing stuff that we heard. Hey, let's try this. I mean, introduction. You know, Terry Cass was writing in 1980 time but he didn't know how to write music so i had to sit with him and chart it you know and write a chart so the band could follow it he heard it all in his head dude color my world i wrote that okay as i said i was listening to johan Bach. i mean you know who is this guy man you know this classical composer who who is cooking you know like this i had been listening to him for hours and hours and it was like three in the morning and i'm at a keyboard electric piano between beds in a holiday and you know writing color my world and i didn't know what it is you know but i you know i was you know just like bach you know uh, how can i you know how can i write a, a you know a, a rock and roll kind of a ballad thing that emulates bach you know so i you know, da, 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 da. I, I came up with this 12-bar round, and then I wrote this simplistic melody. I wrote an instrumental solo, if you will, over those uh, changes. I go, I wonder if this is going to work. I, I got to know. I got to know if this is going to work. Am I, am I sitting here wasting time? Am I spinning my wheels? Is it? So I called Walt's room at 3 in the morning. I said, Walt, Walt, hey, dude, it's Jimmy. Could you grab your flute and come over to my room? What? <laughs> it's 3.30 in the morning. I'm sleeping. <laughs> you know, I said, please, please, we could you come over? I got, I have to find out if this works. He said, okay, okay. So he comes to my room. He's wearing his robe. He's got bags under his eyes. The guy was, he comes in the room, he knocks on the door, he comes in, takes his flute out, he's half asleep. I go, oh, Walt, thank you, man, thank you. I got to find out if this is going to work. You know, so I start playing Call of My World, and, you know, he's reading the, the part. You know, da, 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 you know, and we... And I look at him, I say, Walt, Walt, you got to tell me, does this work? He pauses and he looks at me. I, I, I swear on my mother's soul, rest in peace. He looks at me and he goes, Jimmy, this is going to make me famous. Mm. <laughs> it, it, Like I said, prom music for I years, said, what? weddings, proms, everything. It was, I mean, that song was everywhere. I mean, in the yeah, 70s. and I didn't, I said, what? He said, Jimmy, this flute line is going to make me fa famous. You know, I went, wow, wow. Now, doesn't Walt and, and sing Sorry and play? Sorry to wake you up, dude. <laughs> doesn't he Walt said, sing no. it now? What? Doesn't Walt sing this now? I mean, Lee, excuse me. Doesn't Lee sing this yeah, song Yeah, Lee sings this now. And he plays when the flute, we, doesn't when he? When we went in the studio to digitally remaster all this stuff, which ultimately happened, you know, at the behest of Warner Brothers, you know, all this great stuff was analog, you know, and it was, it was raw. It was powerful. But, you know, in the digital world, you know, that we have all of this amazing technology. How can we, uh, you might have heard uh, this this British audiophile, Stephen Wilson, remastered this, you know, digitally, five-point stereo, and, I mean, it is the ballet on steroids, you know. <laughs> but when, when we did this, we, we were thinking, you know, Terry's gone. Right, you know, right. We, you know, we have to perform this live and continue to, you know. And I realized when we were in the studio, you know, I said, Lee, wow, your voice, you know, timbre of your voice is really close to Terry's. Do you want to sing this? 
on stage, you went, dude, kidding? I'd love to sing it. And I said, well, you got to promise me, if you're going to sing this, you got to be as faithful as you can to Terry's performance, you yeah. know? Terry had such a great voice. I mean, it was... He was Ray Charles. Yeah, man. he had that want... rich voice. I mean, it was just... A, he can't be... I mean, he's something that could never be replaced. I mean, Terry was just I mean, he a brilliant didn't say, guitar player. Play in the park. He said, children play in the park. They don't know who. No who. Yeah, I mean, he, he was... Had, I mean, he was so soulful. Yeah. And he exuded the... You know, you know, John, when he passed away, he took a huge chunk of our soul away. Oh, I can imagine. I, I remember you when know, that happened. It was it was heartbreaking when it happened. Yeah, I mean, we had to actually decide, are we going to continue to do this? How can we? Terry's gone. And you know what? Do we throw in the towel or do we bite the bullet and just work our butt off and be the best we can be? And I think Terry would want us to do that. And so that's what we did. And we filled in the blanks and continue to as best as we can. We've had several iterations of Terry Cap. There'll never be another Terry. Oh, no, never. But you do everything you can to make it as good as it can be. Well, it's it's been it's working. working. It's been working. I mean, you. It's working. I mean, you know, people are still coming to the altar. Right. You know, to, you know, uh, we're still selling out. And you're still making albums, and you you and still, still charted songs. Butt, yeah, you yep. still charted songs long after that. I mean. And let me tell you, speaking of, you know, we're releasing a brand new collection of original studio uh, music uh, in June. Will you be playing that uh, in your new yes, shows? Yes, we will, baby. Yeah, uh, it's the new, uh, it's the, another evolution in the band. Right. Featuring the arguably the best lineup this band has ever enjoyed. And I wrote several of the of the songs. Trademark Chicago with a whole fresh face going into the 21st century. Uh, it's it's going to be good, man. Yeah. We're already rehearsing new, uh, some of this stuff to give people a sneak preview, if you will. You guys are, I mean, you, you're doing this all the time. I mean, you're either on the road or rehearsing or recording. I mean, that's yeah. what you do. I it's mean, it's called evolving. I mean, yeah, but you keep you at know, it. You I can, mean, you're you not know, taking you time off. You can go on off. the road every year. Yeah, you can, you know, I mean, we have a deep catalog. Every artist would love to have that problem where, oh, shit, we only have a little more than two hours. Uh, what songs do we have to cut out, you know? <laughs> We do only two hours. I mean, we could be at stage eight hours and do hits. Right, right. You know, uh, like I said, any artist would love that problem. But, uh, you know, we're not out here, you know, resting on the laurels of Saturday in the Park or 25 to 6 to 4 or Call of My World. I mean, we're continuing to write and record. And, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? We have to evolve. We have to challenge ourselves. How else can we feel pumped up or, you know, excited? I mean, you can only, uh, you know, we're not an oldies, but goodies act, you know, this is the next thing, man. You know, you know, our juices are still flowing. You know, we're far from over. Well, that's good. I mean, I'm glad. Yes. I mean, I'm glad because, I mean, I, I've been listening. I mean, I'm, I'm 61. I've been listening to music and music has been a vital part of my life for most of my life. And, you know, I, I was really into what was happening. And then as time went on, I mean, it's either I got older or music got worse. I don't know what happened, but I began to oh. like what was out there. <laughs> well, oh. yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I began to not like what was coming out and it was just, you know, and then I found myself gravitating back to the stuff that I used to listen to because and I'd listen to it and I'm like nobody records stuff like this I mean especially with the horns I mean nobody there were no horn driven bands that have that power and that soul that you guys had the musicality of the band I mean it was it's just I mean, you guys had melodies and counterpoints and all kinds of stuff going on. And now the stuff I hear is just this droney stuff that doesn't do anything for me. And that's well, what I, that's know, you're, why you're, you're still so around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, uh, you know, it's, it's a combination of things, uh, I guess. I mean, the record business as we knew it is long gone. I mean, that's, that's history, you know, and you know, the record companies are gone. I mean, Tower Records is gone. Mm. And, you know, it's, you know, retail, it's all gone. It's all internet. Uh, bon Jovi said it. You know, he said the internet destroyed our business. It, it did. destroyed the record business. It did. So what do you do? Do you, okay, can't make records anymore. Let's try out and just do gig. No, you, you approach it in today's, with today's technology. So you either, 
You either keep up with the, the times or you go away. We are now making music with Pro Tools, you know, with the internet, on uh, on computers. That recording is digital, mm. you know. It's zeros and ones. The audience is now streaming music. You know, they don't go out and buy CDs. No. Or, you know, although vinyl is making a comeback, which is kind of exciting because they're going to be able to maybe experience what we used to experience, you know, the ritual of sitting there reading the lighter notes. I know. That, that was the great part you know, of it. Oh, yeah. You know, and my daughter, you know, she's in college. And she's, she asked for a turntable. You know? <laughs> I'm going, awesome. And, of course, then she discovered, she went into my uh, my archives, and she discovered this box of all the original Beatles records. <laughs> you know, Led Zeppelin. You know, a, a lot of jazz. A lot of jazz. And, you know, I mean, you know, everything from A to Z, you know, and she's going, Dad, are, are these the original albums? I went, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. I... Can I borrow some of these and listen to them? I went, absolutely. I'm thrilled that you have a turntable. I want you to to have the same ritual mm. that I had when I was your age. Oh, yeah. And she went, oh, this is going to be so cool. Well, you used, you, know, to memorize, to you used to memorize the liner notes. And it's just... Oh, yeah. Because you had nothing else. I mean, you would sit there and listen to the music with, either with louder or with headphones on, and you'd read the liner notes over and oh, over yeah. again. You'd you know, read you, the lyrics. You know, you, know, you smoke it, too. <laughs> you you know, and you're sitting there going, oh, man, oh, who played bass on this track? Right. Oh, Oh, this guy's singing lead or background. Oh, man, who's the engineer on this record? You know, it just, you know, you wanted to know who was doing what because it, it gave life to the songs. Right. Uh, especially with your band, you had three vocalists in the band and you yeah. had you had all the writers and you had the, the yeah. horn members and stuff and you had to figure out who was doing what. And especially when you're singing right. the songs, there was always a different voice. And that's that's one of the cool things about Chicago, too, is you had three separate vocalists. Yes, that, three lead vocalists. Right, that was that was a cool thing, and you know, I, I've I've watched that documentary, the now more than ever documentary, quite a few times. I rewatched it again last night, and you know, it's we like, have a, a new one coming out, by the way. Oh, great! I, I can't a wait sequel. to see that one. It, it picks up where that ends and goes to, to today in the making of this latest new album. Oh, great! So, I can't wait to see yeah, that. Yeah, and we're shop, you know, we're shopping uh, network and and film for a release as we speak. Great. Anyway, getting back to the story. Yeah, you 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 checking out the documentary and Well, it, it's one of the things is like you go to the, you know, the whole thing with the David Foster Peter Cetera thing era that time when that turmoil started and and it's well, just Well, yeah, it was a, a a bitter pill. It was a double uh, it was a double-edged sword because we needed a hit record, number one, because we had no manager, we had no label, Terry had passed away, we were like a, you know, a band without a country. And, you know, uh, Warner Brothers was sniffing around uh, when they heard we had had a meeting with David Foster. He had already, he had done After the Love is Gone with Earth Wind. Uh, he impressed people at Warner Brothers. And we had a meeting with him and invited him to produce our first album with Warner Brothers. If And, and Warner Brothers, their take was, you know, yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a deal. If David Foster produces you, we agreed to hire David. We went in, but it was bittersweet because David, see, David's impression of Chicago was Peter Cetera with a great backup band. Mm. You know, and that's so, what, that's not what and you the were. horns, the that... horns, you know, to a degree. But if you listen, okay, we we needed credibility again, right? So okay, we'll hire David Foster. We'll hire Bozo the Clown if that'll give us credibility. <laughs> you know. We, you know, we we need a deal, a record deal. You know, okay, we'll allow Peter to kind of steal much of the limelight if that's what it takes. So hard to say. I'm sorry becomes a number one song, and now the impression is that Peter Cetera is the lead vocalist. Mm. Robert kind of had to take a back seat. Terry was gone. Robert wasn't very thrilled with this new Im image of Chicago at. You know, and then the horns. Right. It wasn't three horns. It was Jeremy Lubbock's or orchestral arrangement. Right. And so I had to do a Chicagoized three-piece horn 
arrangement of this orchestrated record. And I had to do the same thing with You're the Inspiration. Again, Peter Cetera featuring Chicago. You know? mm. Again. Wasn't there a period where you, you were playing other instruments on stage too or in videos? Dude, dude, I was playing synthesizer and Walt was playing rhythm guitar. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, yeah. wow, that must have been a drag because... It was a drag, you know. You know, it's like, and we call it, you know, with tongue-in-cheek, we call it the hornless years. <laughs> you know, and we, I, I had battles with David Foster. I go in there and David would go, no, you guys, you know, you do this, do this, do this. I go, wait a minute, man, wait a minute. I created this horn thing, and, you know, I didn't need somebody like you telling me how to do it. I did what I heard, and it works. Right. So I'm asking you to please... Trust me. Trust. He says, well, I'll make a deal with you. You know, you want a hit record. Warner Brothers wants a hit record. So I'll trust you if you trust me. So we we agreed to collaborate on a lot of this stuff, you know. And there a lot of it had less horns than I would have liked, but I compromised. Well, there was one song that came out in the mid-'80s that the hard harbor to break. And that was the first time in a while that I had heard the horns semi-Chicago style come back into a song. And it wasn't Hard Habit to Break. Well, yeah, okay. Hard Habit to Break was 17, I believe. You know, uh, Hard to Say I'm Sorry was uh, 16. That was the first album for Warner Brothers with David. Right. Hard to Say I'm Sorry was the breakout hit on that record. The rest of it was all studio players. I mean, David called in top guns like Steve Lukather. Yeah, like you had Jeff Toto, Rick. people from Toto in that oh, band. Yeah, Jeff Percaro, you know, I mean, arguably the best rock and roll drummer on the planet, you know, and Lukather, John Landau would come in, you know, and we'd be playing in traffic, you know, uh, but we got a hit record out of it. And But then when we went in and did 17 and 18, we then were able to be more us. That's good because that's what I noticed that when when hard habit hard habit break came out and I was, you know, because that other stuff kind of it didn't have the horns in it and the horns was what I liked but then hard habit came in and I was like right at least I'm hearing some of those horns again so it was right right because that was that was it I mean the horns the horns are what drove drove the band and that's the heart right I mean Hendrix said the 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 lungs of the band but. It's the heart of the band, really. Well, it's part of the signature. Right. I mean, that's what it was. You know, it was a sound unlike no other band. and Yeah, I mean, the horn section went from the inception. Right. And this this was Walt Perizator's whole you know, concept. He said, hey, you guys, you know, and you go to each one of us. Hey, you guys, what do you think about, what do you think about the idea of a rock and roll band with a horn section that's a lead voice and you know i'm going what the hell is that you know <laughs> i'm a jazz guy before this happened you know if you're a wind player you were playing jazz or maybe r&b you know motown gamble hub because i mean those the black artists the soul artists i mean wilson pickett the four tops the temptation you know bada bing bada bing you know sam and dave they were they were all using horns on their records, but they were like they weren't playing melodic solo lines mm. uh, with the vocalists. Right. And we had to kind of decide exactly what that role was going to be. So Walt, what about that idea? And we're going, yeah, that's really cool. But how do we do it? Frankly, you know, the decision was, okay, Jimmy, you're already a, you're a horn player. You know, you're already arranging. You're already an arranger. I mean, you know, you got your own thing going on and you're doing arrangements, you know, for your for your own small group and for other people, you're going to, why don't you take the chair on this and, and work on this concept? We need you to figure out a, an approach to this. How do, how do we do this? And so I, I screwed with it. I tried, I, I tried to come up with this approach and basically, man, let me be honest with you. I sat in a room, you know, and I, I put a cassette of a, you know, a rough mix one of these songs, you know, Robert would give me a track, Terry would give me a track, a song of his, 
I would pick up the trombone, and when the song started, I'd start kind of, you know, doodling, you know, kind of just kind of noodling around on the trombone, playing a solo thing along with the record, along with the basic track and the vocal. And I kind of doodle a little trombone line that I had in my head that went right into the vocal. I kind of did a trombone thing that would, okay, here comes the vocal. Okay, now it's his turn. Okay, the vocal's taking a break here. Uh, so I'm going to sneak in with another solo line. You know, the vocal ends. Uh, I'm going to sneak in right under him and continue this. Okay, now, okay, now we're going to a bridge. How do I enter? Okay, we're going into this chord change. How do I bring that in? Okay, with a, another melodic horn thing. Okay, now there's a space on the track, but there's no vocal at all. Ah, this can be only, all of a sudden, we can take over and become the lead vocal. So that's how I did it. It was brilliant, and it worked. I mean, it's just... Apparently so. You got some you have some trombone solos that are just off the charts. I mean, I mean, just it, like I said, watching you on Thank stage you, doing that those trombone solos with the band, it's just... I mean, especially, I, I don't know how you can breathe that much without falling down. I'm telling you, bro, as I've gotten older, it hasn't gotten any easier. I mean, it's there's like, a lot of wind it takes to run a trombone. Hey, man, my cardiologist came to a show, and after the gig, you know, he, he came up to me and he said, Jimmy, my gosh, what you're doing on that damn sewer pipe, you know, that horn, <laughs> it's like... Uh, it's like running five to ten miles. Yeah, I night. can imagine. It must and I be. said, yeah, man, Doc, it's either going to keep me strong as a, a bull or it's going to kill me. I hope it's the former. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm wondering, why did Walt retire from the band? I mean, he okay. he seems like he's still in good health, isn't he? No. Oh, he's not? Uh, I, no. I was um, wondering about that because, you know, I see those things. He's still officially a member of the band, but well, he doesn't we, perform we actually, anymore. Yeah, uh, at the very beginning of this year, we actually made, on our so social media, we actually made the announcement that Walter is officially retired. Okay. He, Although he has not been on the road, uh, he has, re you know, he remained a full member and, uh, you know, a decision make joint decision maker, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but he was no longer able to come on the road because this was, let's see, Ray Herman is, shoot, he's been in the band 15 years or more. Mm -hmm. So Walt, it's been that long since Walt's been off the road. And, you know, I mean, we're still, we're the ones that we're we're still the one set of lungs. I mean, Ray's right, a right. monster, and you know he got it right away. Right. So it's like you know we never skipped a beat. I miss Walt. Well, it's he just was because he was he was still included in everything. That's why I was confused. Oh, oh, oh yeah, he you know he was part of the you know the decision making and band interviews, Hall of Fame. He was there, but then as as, as time went on, he developed arterial sclerosis. Okay? Oh. He got he inherited that condition, I think, from his mom who had it most of her life. And his doctor said, Man, if you go out and huff and puff on that horn and bounce around on, on the road all year, especially in the summer in that hot weather, when you guys are outside sweating your ass off and you're pumping that horn, he said it'll kill you. Oh, don't want that. It'll kill you. I mean at that point Walt had two stents oh <laughs> because he had you know high arterial sclerosis man high blood pressure you know potential blockage mm. so he had to back off or or, or risk his his life risk right. his health recently he was diagnosed with alzheimer's oh geez that's even worse well, that's yeah. probably probably a, a byproduct of the arterial sclerosis, though. Uh, that... Your guess is as good as mine. Well, uh, that sucks. You know, but yeah, it sucks. Yeah. Uh, and that was like you know last year. Oh. We, uh, you know, Walt told us, "Hey guys, sorry to give you this news, but you know I'm going to have to walk away completely now. Uh, I've been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and I have to be 100% focused on my health now." Yeah. So they live in Vegas. They got a great place in Lake Las Vegas. They live <laughs> by, you know, the golf course. It's a beautiful spot. He's got uh, the Cleveland Clinic has uh, an outpost in Vegas. So he's got a, an amazing team, medical team. 
He's on all the latest meds, which they were, which they're coming out with more and more every month. And he's doing physical therapy. He's got a great PT person. He's playing his horn every day. That keeps his mind sharp. And and John, I talk to him regularly. I just talked to him several weeks ago. You know, when we were in Vegas, I reached out. Hey, Walt, how you doing? I'm just wanting, you know, I'm thinking about you. You know, blah blah. He said, man, I'm still doing okay. I'm still sharp. He's still, he's not, he can't drive anymore. And he's got a great wife who uh, fills in the blanks for him. He's got to be careful. He said, Walt, what a drag. I mean, you know, what a, what a thing to hear. Yeah. I mean, I, I love you, man. And, you know, and I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. When you announced this, I dove into everything and all things Alzheimer's. I wanted to know what the hell you had. So I did all this research. I went online and, and I, I discovered, I said, well, and I, you know, I hope you're in this group. He said, some people... You know, they, they, they begin to fade rapidly. and But there are other people that go on to live 20 years of a healthy life because they know they learn how to manage it, you know, or the severity of their particular diagnosis is manageable. I mean, some, some cases are more severe than others. And I said, Walt, I hope you're in that group that, you know, yeah, you got to take your meds. You got to do your physical therapy to keep your edge. You know, you can keep playing the horn. But hey, but you can have a, a productive life. I mean, the guy is in his mid-70s already, for God's sake. He's already had a pretty damn good run. Well, he's the one who got you into the band, the, the big thing. And he, he's the one. He that, was the guy. He was the guy who brought you in and got you going. Well, he brought all of us in. It was, uh, you know, Walt and Danny and Terry were a, a club act, and the Missing Links. And they were doing all the nightclubs in the city. Uh, I was a jazz guy. I was I had my own quintet and I was a pickup all the all the big bands that came through Chicago you know I'd get the call and and you know and get hired fill in the section but rock you know pop music you know whoa uh, <laughs> Lee was playing with another club band the Shannon Show Band an Irish show band. Uh, <laughs> Robert was playing on the south side, a, a sewer, called, uh, I forget the name of it, and he was Bobby Charles and the Wanderers. <laughs> and, you know, and Walt found him and said, hey, dude, you want to, you know, the same idea. Walt knew Lee and me at DePaul University, and he came to each of us with the idea of a forming a rock and roll band with horns. And all of us met finally collectively at Walt's apartment on the north side, and we we did a gentleman's handshake and we promised to dedicate all of our time and energy to this idea. And that was the germ. You see, that's all you've ever done is music, too. You've never done anything else but music, have you? Oh, I've had day gigs, quote oh. unquote. Okay. You know, I mean, I'm the oldest of nine kids. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I noticed that. You know, that's and, a lot of kids and, in your family. That's yeah, a lot of kids. And dad forced us you get your butt out there and you chip in before i was old enough to get a work permit you know i was caddying you know, i was carrying golf bags at the, at the country club i was you know selling newspapers i was mowing lawns i was doing all that stuff and i opened it i had a bank account chipped in you know time for braces you know we we helped out and then every kid subsequently did the same thing man you go out and babysit you go out you know you know bus tables uh, at the local greasy spoon come on get your ass out there and make some money we're putting braces on 19 we're feeding <laughs> 11 people here you're not going to sit on the couch you're going to get out there and and, and, and chip in now your so, brother your brother is an actor i i didn't realize yeah, well, that until he yesterday was, he was uh, you know, it's, it's a sign of the times, bro. Uh, my brother, John was a classically trained actor. Oh, he is. Yes, he is. Uh, he was, he played, he was Mozart in Amadeus on Broadway. Yeah, I, I saw he's been a lot, but you know what? He's the real deal, man. Classically right. trained. He w he came out of the St. Nicholas Repertory Theater in Chicago. His, cl his classmates were, uh, Willem Dafoe. <laughs> I mean, John Turturro, you know, John Malkovich. I mean, you know. He's the real deal. Well, I see the and, resemblance you know, now too. It's like before, what like when I first saw it, I was like, "Is it that guy?" And I'm like, I looked, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, yeah, I can see the resemblance now." Yeah, the same. Where's <laughs> 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 <Hey>, the panko? <laughs> uh, it's an obnoxious loud note. <laughs> yeah, I, I never hey, knew that. I thought I thought hey, that was really hey, fascinating. Hey, Jimmy, 
is that your brother? I bet somebody 20 bucks that that was your... I said, how could you tell? You know? The same laugh. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I never made the, I never made the connection until last night. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, he went on to, you know, he, he got the, the the role of Cousin Ira in Mad About You. Right. And, you know, that was his, you know, big, big role. I mean, you know. Well, he's and, in the episodes, too. He was in that program. Well, episodes, yeah. Yeah, I watched all Yeah, that. he did that was, episodes. Like and people, people think I'm the guy playing the trombone on the soundtrack. Because <laughs> whoever it was, was emulating me, you know. And, I, and I've answered that question, you know, which is. It's it's a huge compliment, you know. Right. I said no, it's not me, but you know, wow, it's very flattering. Well, you did but, play with other bands like Three Dog Night and the Bee Gees. You you recorded oh, yeah, with sure. them and Toto yeah, too. Beach which... Boys, Elton. Right. I've done a couple. I did a couple sessions for Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. I'm a Nashville guy now, so. Aren't you going to be on the road with Brian Wilson this summer? Yes, he's he's going to open and he's going to do. I mean, dude, he's the brain trust. Mm. Uh, of of all things Beach Boys, he wrote, uh, he created that genre, right? Surf music. Right. I mean, that was all Brian Wilson, man. You know, he was part of the Wrecking Crew. You know, he was singing and and writing for all of these artists. Well, uh, most of most of the Beach Boys music is recorded by studio musicians. They just put in the vocals it's all, for the most it's part. The Wrecking Crew, right? And Brian would wait till the band went on the road, and then he would go in the studio. He wouldn't go on the road with the band, but he he'd go in the studio with all the songs that he wrote, which are, you know, fun, fun, fun. You know, California Girls, God Only Knows, all the big stuff, man. And he would handpick. I mean, Glenn Campbell on guitar, Carol Kay on bass, you know, Hal Blaine on drums. I mean, anyway, yeah, he all, all the top first call studio guys played the music. And he's on the road with us. I mean... Carl Wilson is past. Dennis is past. There's another iteration out there with Mike Love. And Mike kind of surreptitiously got the uh, ability to use the Beach Boy name. It's not the Beach Boys. No, it's, I mean, it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of young guys that are. Yeah, yeah. Very young. Yeah, you know, John Stamos shows up now and then, you know, so he can be a rock star, whatever, (laughs) blah, blah. You know, uh, you know, it's a cast of whoever, and yeah, Bruce Johnson is there. You know, he was kind of around in the beginning, but you know, now Brian Wilson is up, mm. and he does. He calls it Brian Wilson and friend. Al Jardine is with Brian Wilson, so you have two of the key originals, and the guy that wrote it and, and recorded and produced it is the guy on stage. Oh yeah, I've it's seen- not Mike Love on stage. <laughs> <laughs> who's pretending to be the guy. He's not the guy, you I know? I, I, I've seen Brian Wilson in concert, and it was amazing because I think he went through like 27 songs in like an hour or something. It was like bang, 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 just cranked like out. Like a medley. These... It's yes. A medley. It's just like one long yeah. song. It was just, he just cranked him right out. Yeah, you know, you know, Brian, God love him. He's an older guy now. He's got a supporting cast of amazing people who help him accomplish this. He still loves, you know, the attention and the live audience thing and all that. It, you know, it's the beach. It's the Beach Boys. This guy is. You know, he's like Maurice White. What he is to the Earth, Wind, and Fire thing. The guy who fucking uh, created the whole thing. And so he's gonna come out. He's gonna do a set. Then we're gonna go on. And then he's gonna come out. And we're gonna be his band. And we're gonna do a couple of the big, you know, songs that he. Oh, that sounds cool. The Beach Boys. That's very cool. You know, and we'll be the band. Well, you guys toured with the Beach Boys in the 70s, didn't you? And We didn't... sure did. We did We did three tours. Yeah. Uh, the biggest one being the first one in 75. When, uh, when, you know, uh, Carl and Dennis were both alive. You know, it, it was it was the original Beach Boys. And Peter was still in the band. Terry was alive. It was the original band. I watched we the New Year's and... Eve show. I watched that New Year's Eve show oh, live. Oh, yeah, New Year's Rock and Eve. Yeah, I watched that live. <laughs> right. Well, you know, we, we were... Yeah. Well, the stroke of midnight. Yeah. Uh, Wizard, you were here. You know, 
Oh yeah, and tuxedos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that very vividly because I, I thought that yeah, was yeah. fun. And then we did uh, like five nights at the Garden in New York. We did six nights at the Chicago Stadium. We were doing baseball stadiums. We did Anaheim Stadium. And we were packing these joints, man. I mean, you're talking fifty, sixty thousand people. I mean, the Beast Boys in Chicago together. I mean, Time Magazine, you know, wanted us on the cover. It was, it was huge. And I'll tell you, it was phenomenal. You know, it was probably one of the epic summer tours ever. We were in the garden, and there was, you know, Madison Square Garden is a three-story building. You know, the garden is the top floor. Felt Forum is a huge convention space on the floor below. They do, you know, huge conventions. And, and then the bottom floor was Grand Central Station. It was the train station. It was below gr the ground level. Anyway, we're on stage. You know, I can feel the stage kind of going up and down. And I'm thinking... <laughs> You know, what the hell is going on, man? You know, is this scaffold weak? You know, I'm looking at the crew. I'm going, you better reinforce this freaking scaffold. And we found out they evacuated a citywide prom going on in the felt forum below us because the whole floor of Madison Square Garden was going up and down. You know, and we'll have fun, fun. Fun when your daddy takes a tea. All these people were rocking out in tempo, and the floor was beginning to buckle. Wow. And then we're in we're in Angel Stadium in Southern California. We're on stage again. You know, you know that you know we we'd each do a set, and then we join each other together for a huge an encore, doing both bands hit. I mean, California girls, fun, fun, fun. 25 or 6 to 4, Saturday in the park, you know, it would be both bands that say we did the same thing with Earth, Wind, and Fire. And everybody else, Huey Lewis, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Do the Doobie them. Brothers, you did that with, too. The Doobies, many tours together. We had a blast with the Doobies. I love those guys. So, we're in Angel Stadium. We look up, and it, the upper deck at Angel Stadium, the stage was set up on, like, second base, just the outfield side of second base, facing center field. There was people on the grass, you know, the market, and then the stand all the way around the, the diamond, you know, left field, center field, right field. And we were looking up at the upper deck, and I, we thought we were hallucinating. We thought it was like, it, you know, it's so hot. Those are heat waves. It's a mirage thing. The upper deck was swaying like a wave <laughs> this concrete upper deck with thousands of people in it was swaying it i suppose we shouldn't laugh because it was dangerous no no <laughs> we had to stop playing and they sent an emergency squad up to the upper deck and evacuated it because they were afraid of it collapsing yeah, on the people below i mean it shit like that you yeah. know that's crazy. It that we will never see again. No, no. Thankfully, but wow. You've had some, I mean, 55 years of touring. I mean, that's that's a lot of memories. Yes. Watching, watching your, you know, your that documentary, the, the stories you told of the doing the loops with the airplane, and that that's crazy when you were, when you had the pilots doing the rolls for... Oh, we were weightless. <laughs> Negative Gs. I can't know, imagine doing that. You know, floating. Yeah, the that's crazy. You know, the front seaters, the pilots... We're ex-Top Gun carrier pilots who flew at Nam. Go to Long Island. We're staying in Manhattan. The show is at uh, Nassau Coliseum. And to avoid having to negotiate the Lincoln Tunnel, traffic was hideous getting out of the city. You know, we opted for helicopters, East River Heliport. And we're getting these choppers and these two helicopter pilots. Chicago, rock and roll! <laughs> you know, hey, you guys, you want to do some, you want to have some fun? You know, yeah, fuck yeah, you know. So we get in the suit, helicopter. Next thing you know, we're hovering in front of the Statue of Liberty's face. <laughs> and we're, we're literally 50 feet away from the crown. And we can see tourists in, in the Statue of Liberty's ground. And we're flipping them off from the helicopters, you know. And then and then these two chopper pilots, they fire us around the top of the World Trade Center, at, it, which we know is, is gone. And right. then... They go, they go, next thing you know, we're flying right on the water, on the Hudson River, going under the George Washington Bridge, 
and then around the island of Manhattan going under the Brooklyn River. The tugboat captains are, are shooting at us with imaginary sheet machine And then, you know, and then we, we go back up to altitude. And we land in the parking lot of the NASA Coliseum. And we, you know, we would do, you know, we, we, we were chartering jets. You know, that's that's how we got to gigs. Uh, we don't do that anymore because the price of fuel is prohibitive. We would, we would be in the jet and we would do a low-level flyover, you know. <laughs> one of these outdoor venues, you know. The opening act would be on stage. And we... <laughs> You know, at, you know, a thousand feet above the the venue, and you know, and they do the wing tip back and forth thing with the wing, saying hello with the airplane, <laughs> and then we'd land at the local airport. We'd go to the gig, you know, and the doobies are going. Was that you, fucking guy? That was you, wasn't it? We're going, yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> you know, oh, oh, John, the story. I'm sure we could probably talk for hours. I mean, we probably should wrap it up because you probably yeah, well, have other people to I talk to. Have to start settling up for a show. Oh, you're playing. Where are you playing tonight? We're uh, at University of Illinois. Oh, cool. Yeah, we're playing the Star Arena, whatever it is. Last night was a night off, and I actually went over and did a talk with the uh, jazz department. Cool. Uh, Music school. That's, it was very cool. Yeah, it must have been. It must be. I mean, to hear people, to hear stories and hear, you know, to get to listen to people who've taught, I mean, who's done what you've done over the years is, is inspiring. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to listen to what you have to say because you've done so much and you've in, inspired so many people and you've, it's just, you're a legend basically. Oh uh, yeah. In my own mind. <laughs> well, in uh, mine too. <laughs> you know what, man, here we are. We've been on the phone. You've been, you've been, you know, sharing stories, only someone, only someone that really knows and appreciates what we do. You're obviously one of the cats. I mean, you know, because you're talking shop, you know, yeah. I mean, you're coming from a musical place, but here we are. You're, I mean, you're enthusiastic to the point where this two hours goes by like 10 minutes. Oh yeah. No, you have me on the phone for two hours, (laughs) you know, and I'm digging talking to you. So it goes by. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate it because trust me, this is a pleasure to talk to you. Because I mean, I met you a couple of years ago for like a minute, and uh, in Boston, we we had one of those uh, the group pictures taken with the Chicago background, oh, sure. the class yeah. photos, and my girlfriend was oh my gosh, she was in heaven because she loves you awesome. guys so much too, and she that was like she keeps saying how much of a how much that was one of her favorite things she ever got to do was that, and uh, you oh, know that's so cool. Yeah, it, it's an honor to talk to you. I mean, it's you because, know, and that story about you and your dad how precious is that <laughs> well it is it's just so funny that he's he came full circle it's just he came from yeah, not liking it what? to appreciating it you know and yes, really liking and it my dad too and you know and i immediately man flat my dad rest in peace he was he, you know he took me under his arm he was an amazing gift he had the same he his ears he had this gift and he uh he was a piano player he played piano for Many years and studied. Many years he played for like twelve years, and finally he walked away from it. He had he had, he had teachers that were strictly disciplined. No, you can't have fun here. No <laughs> fooling around. You know you can't jam. You got to play Beethoven. You got to play Mozart. You got to play Bartok. You can't you know screw around, man. No, come on, slap that hand. And he finally burnt out. He finally went. This isn't fun, but screw it. When I turned 10 years old, he said, all right, it's time. Come on, we're going to the church basement. You're going to try an instrument. You know, I wound up bringing the sewer pipe home. You know? <laughs> and I was in the drum drummer line. I wanted to play drums. I didn't want to play this damn thing. You know, <laughs> trombone, I'm not playing that. It's embarrassing. You know, and the, te- you know, the band director, aren't there? Go, oh, man, play that. You won't have any competition. You'll be first chair. You know, and all this bullshit. I did go home with a trombone, and my dad, you know, blah, 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 you know, come on, try this, try this. And every night after dinner, he took me into the living room, and one night it'd be Count Basie. One night, it, you know, it'd be, you know, Stan Kitten. One night it'd be Woody Herman, you know, and he, he can you hear that? You hear that? Hey, Jimmy, you hear that? And it was like he, he was, you know, he was mentoring me, you know, and I, I, 
wow, why is he so into this? Blah, blah, blah. Well, that's great. You got that attention out of nine kids, too. I mean, well, that's... you know, yeah, the other kids started getting jealous because, <laughs> you know, after dinner, dad would take me in the living room. Oh, you, you other guys, go up and do your homework. You know, Jimmy and I are busy. <laughs> you know, and they're going, who the hell is he? Yeah, but they realized that this was a music thing. Mm. It wasn't about, you know, it wasn't because it was me. It was because one of his kids obviously had this gift. And because he never got the chance to live that dream, he was going to encourage one of his kids, you know, mm. to take that full full circle. And so he was he was mentoring me. And, dude, I you know, I had to buy, yeah, did, did I tell you at one point I had to go out and get a piano because I decided I needed a minor in piano to accomplish the harmonics of yeah, songwriting. Yeah, you, you mentioned that, yeah. So here's this piano, you know, a big old upright sitting in our hallway. I had never heard my dad play. You know, I knew from the stories we shared that he played for all those years. And, you know, wasn't allowed to develop his, you know, his gift. And so I'm coming home from a gig. I'm in college. I'm coming home from a gig. I, You know, I was a piano student. And that's why the piano, you know, that's why... I bought this thing and put it in the house. So I'm coming home from a gig. It's like two in the morning, something like that. And my dad had fallen asleep, you know, in, a, in his Archie Bunker chair in the living room, you know, <laughs> the TV was still on, you know. And I, you know, I quietly closed the door and I started going up the stairs, you know. I guess when I closed the door, you know, it, what my dad was, you know, Jim, Jimmy, how you doing? Oh, hey, man. Yeah, go up. You get you hit the sack. You got an early classes coming. I said, I know, Dad. I know. You know, I'm sorry to wake you up, man. You know, anyway, hey, that's okay. You know, I'll see you in the morning. I go upstairs and I'm brushing my teeth and I hear this. What the hell is that? That must be my dad. There's nobody else down there. And then I hear. I mean, freaking Fats Waller was in the, at the piano. Holy shit. I run down the stairs, you know, in my jockey shorts with a toothbrush <laughs> in my head. Dad, Dad. He says, oh, Jimmy, Jimmy, uh, you know, I just want, yeah, I don't know, maybe I, I, I wanted you to check this out, but I didn't want to bother. I said, bother me. Keep going, man. Keep going. This is amazing. And I stood there with my jaw hanging open. You know, my dad was playing stride piano. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. I, I said, Dad, I had no idea. I started welling up. I said, oh, my God, Dad. No wonder. No wonder you took me under your wing. You get it. So, you know, when you told me this story about your dad and he, he came to the show with you, it was you, you witnessed him, shared with him his metamorphosis. Right, yep. And you saw him come into the pool and go, man, okay. Now I get it. And you were able to share that with your father. How cool. It was. I just, it's just something, you know, you have those memories and it's just, I just remember sitting there with my father and he was just, you know, he just loved the show. And I was just, I just turned to him and said, man, I can remember when you didn't like this stuff and you yelled at me for it. Yeah. That's cool. Anyway, man. Yeah. I I should let you go. You got to get ready for your show. And and you have to uh, have time to catch your breath <laughs> yeah i gotta actually gotta review a, a musical tonight and we're going to see the ain't too proud to beg musical the temptations i gotta review that oh, tonight. so well have fun yeah should be good yeah you know what ain't too proud to beg to beg terry saying the crap that was in our club repertoire really wow oh, yeah baby ain't oh. too proud to beg <laughs> sweet darling ain't too proud to beg don't you know Oh, yeah. Cool. That was part of our uh, set in the clubs. Wow. That must be the days. Yeah. You're playing at Mohegan Sun on May 7th. Listen, man. Hey, come on back and say hi. I will. I'd love to do that. It's It's been so much fun talking to you. It's we been can, such an honor. Yes. Yeah, we can uh, commiserate. We can... <laughs> <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be part two of this freaking interview. <laughs> It'll be my pleasure. I look forward to it. Thank you very much. Well, yeah, thank you for your enthusiasm, John. Well, thank you, and thank you for the music. That's what this is all about. It. I'll never get sick, uh, you know, of sharing the joy of doing this with with people that love it. That's so. good because I'm I'm love it, and that's definitely one of the things I will always do. Thank so. you, man. All and right. Listen, I'll look forward to hopefully, you know, 
shaking your hand again, you know, Mohegan Sun. In the meantime, have a good time tonight. All right. Thank you. You have a great show, and it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Back to you, buddy. Okie dokie. Thanks to Jimmy Panko for being part of this episode of the Roots Report podcast. Chicago will be performing at the Mohegan Sun Arena on Saturday, May 7th. The Roots Report podcast is presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by The Parlor, R1 Entertainment, The Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden, Graysale Brewing of Rhode Island, and SE Microphones. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 